recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, August 2nd, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. We've had serious technical problems with TalkShoe our second night here in Panama City, in, in Panama City, Florida. The, um, the TalkShoe page just stopped responding, and, and we lost the connection to the server, and we couldn't reestablish it until we um, connected on the laptop through one of our cell phones, which did nothing but change the IP number. My, my internet connection is fine. So it's happened, it, it's happened quite often to us in the past. We've had a nice three or four months where we've had very little technical problem with TalkShoe, and all of a sudden it's back again. We change our IP number, and we have no problem connecting. That's strange. Tonight's going to be a call-in program, open lines. I encourage people to call in. I really have had little time to think about programs, so to think about presenting anything with the move from Bristol, Virginia, to um, Panama City this past week, I've actually been pretty engrossed in unpacking and packing and all of that stuff. It, it's, um, it's a real hassle. <laughs> I don't even have any of my books unpacked yet. That will happen tomorrow, I pray. And, and next week, I will commence with my presentation of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And we're in Romans chapter 11. Next Saturday, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I may return to Martin Luther. I may do something else. I'm soon going to um, commence with presenting my German Origins series of essays in podcasts, which I haven't had the opportunity to do yet in five years. I, I hope to complete them this year. I have an email here. I have a lot of emails. This particular email, somebody asks for help with Isaiah 49.6. And he says, and quoting Isaiah 49.6, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation under the end of the earth. And the gentleman who wrote me goes on to say, it says the tribes of Jacob, plural, and the preserved of Israel. Then who are these nations he will also go to? There seems to be so many verses stating that the new covenant is with Israel alone. And then you come across several like this that seem to include other nations. I would also like to know, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to omit that part of the email is, is personal. And, and uh, if the person that, uh, I haven't had the chance to answer this email yet, if the person who, um, who wrote it is listening, the answer to that part, the personal part, 
It's affirmative. I just have to get the chance to do it. It it seems to me that people are able to um, make universalist doctrines from passages such as Isaiah 49.6 when they isolate these passages from the rest of Scripture. All throughout Paul's epistles, Paul explained, more or less, that the nations to whom he was bringing the gospel were the result of the promises to Abraham. We read in the early chapters of Genesis, and I didn't pull any quotations for this, so I have to paraphrase, that Abraham's seed, his offspring, would become many nations. And we read that those nations, which were Abraham's offspring, would inherit the earth. That was fulfilled. Those promises were fulfilled by the time of Christ. At the time of Christ, there were still many Jephethite nations, Genesis 10 nations, surviving in history. The Ionian Greeks, the, 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 the people of Tartessus in Spain. Paul's contemporaries wrote about them. Strabo wrote about them. He only lived about 40 years, he wrote about 40 years before Paul did. Paul visited people in Anatolia, Lycaonia, for example, Acts chapter 14, who were of Jephethite nations, and Paul did not preach Jesus to them or, or to the Athenians, recorded in Acts chapter 17, but he did preach to them that they should seek after God, the true God. Yes, he did. I talked about that at length, presenting my ACT series earlier this year, late last year, maybe. In Luke 2.32, Luke 2.32 is very much like Isaiah 49.6, Let's read from Luke 2.30, from the Christogenia, New Testament. Because mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in front of all the people, a light for the revelation of the nations and honor of your people Israel. I know that the King James Version tries to separate the identity of the, the, the Gentiles, and my people Israel. The King James Version translation of Luke 2.32 is actually quite dishonest, but they didn't understand that these promises to Abraham, that his seed became many nations by the time of Christ. The Dorian Greeks, the Romans, the Phoenicians, the Scythians, the Parthians, north, east, and west of Jerusalem, all the, the, the formerly Adamic 
lands of the other Adenic Genesis 10 nations had come, by the time of Christ, had already come to be dominated by the dispersed children of Israel. All of them. Abraham's seed inherited the entire Adamic Oikumene. They were the dominant people throughout the white world by the time of Christ. Romans, Parthians, Scythians, Phoenicians, and Dorian Greeks. Even though there were still other notable Genesis 10 nations at that time in existence, they barely exist today. And today, for the most part, the only white nations left are those from Abraham's seed. And even a lot of those have been overrun and decimated by the flood of the serpent by this present time. In Romans chapter 4, and I've explained this at great length recently, We see Paul say of Abraham, and I'll start with Romans 4.13. The promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and a promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul speaking about the nations of Israel who were put off by Yahweh. Those are the nations that Paul is preaching reconciliation to. And he says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed or sure to all the offspring, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, and Paul means when he says us all, he's talking about the people of the Adamic Lycumene, but here specifically he's talking about Romans and Judeans. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not. Those things, those nations did not exist in Abraham's time, as though they were. In other words, the nations promised to Abraham were being spoken of as if the promise was already fulfilled when Yahweh spoke to Abraham. Paul says mostly very much the same thing in Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Paul was saying that these promises were fulfilled 
Hebrews chapter 6 supports what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 4. Likewise, Luke 2.32. Likewise, Galatians chapter 3, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon, well, not the Gentiles, as the King James has it, upon the nations through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he's talking about those same nations. And we see that in verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And this, of course, is a very controversial passage because the mainstream translations insist on, on, on misusing or abusing that word seed and claiming that it means Christ only. But if we look further on in Paul's, in, in Paul's epistle to the Galatians, we see that he uses the word heirs in the plural, not in the singular. So it can't mean Christ alone. Paul is talking about the anointed seed, meaning the children of Israel, as compared to Esau or the sons of Keturah or Ishmael. So those nations of Genesis, of, of, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, of Isaiah 49.6, those nations, I will also give thee for a light to the nations that thou mayest be my salvation under the end of the earth. Those are the nations that are the descendants of the children of Israel. This is this too is a Hebrew parallelism. The tribes of Jacob, the preserved of Israel, the light to the nations. The children of Israel went out. They they in they inhabited Isaiah chapter sixty six tells us where they would go. They would be spread out amongst all of the other Adamic Genesis 10 nations. And they would inherit those nations. That's the promise to Abraham. So yes, wherever the children of Israel lived, we see Jephethites and the other Shemitic tribes. But the children of Israel according to the promise of Abraham, were to inherit the earth. And they did. So they are the nations of Isaiah 49.6. There's no room for universalism in the scripture. Only if we isolate passages so that we can take them out of context. I'm waiting for calls here. I mean, I could read some more email. But this is open lines, and if there are no calls, this is going to be a real short program. I have another email from a fellow named John who's trying to make a chronology of the, um, 
of the epistles of Paul from my remarks which I made in my Acts presentation. He's off on a few things which I said. He's close, but he doesn't quite have it. I'm probably going to try to post a, um, a chronology soon of the epistles of Paul. From my notes on Acts that, that I compile myself, and um, when, when I'm done with that, I will put it on the, on the index page to the, to the Christogenian New Testament. I will put a link to it so that people can see my chronology of the epistles of Paul. I'm getting a lot of um, email questions from actually a couple of different people regarding Adolf Hitler. The idea that Adolf Hitler was a um, into the occult. The idea that he was a a pagan. The idea that the Nazi Party, the National Socialist Party, was all about occultism. All of those were also revisionist history and 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 ideas promoted by certain Jews, and sadly certain Judeo-Christians who were followed after them. Adolf Hitler looked down on paganism. He looked down on occultism. And there's a video on the front page of Christogenia right now. It's from YouTube. I didn't create the video. And it's Joseph Goebbels, and, and it's subtitled in English, but it's Joseph Goebbels defending the idea that National Socialism and that Nazi Germany was implementing Christianity on a statewide scale, and they certainly were. National Socialism was Christian in its nature, and Hitler was a Christian. I don't know how you you, you disprove these crazy accusations that they were all um, into the occult, unless you go read their own words. Go read what Hitler said in Mein Kampf. Go read what Goebbels said in so many of his speeches, what Hitler said in so many of his speeches. Read the original material. We attempted to to, um, present it for for, over maybe 100 presentations the last five years. These men were clearly Christian men. I have another um, question on the three books of Adam and Eve. It's possible that the first books of Adam and Eve predate the time of Christ. It's very unlikely that they go back to the time of Adam and Eve If I had to guess, I would date them to the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century B.C. It seems that um, there were many Greek writings early on. And men who wrote 
what would put somebody else's name, the name of some famous person or famous writer, on their writing. Those men weren't seeking their own glory. It's more likely that they simply wanted their ideas spread around. And it would be a lot more likely that their ideas were spread around if people thought that somebody else wrote them. That's why we have pseudo-books in early Christianity. The, the pseudo-Clementine epistles, for example, or, or pseudo-Philo, or, or pseudo... There's um, basically an entire collection of such works that could be made. Works that were published and, and transmitted in a name other than the name of the actual author. And they're hoping to get their ideas spread. Well, that's probably true also, in a lot of respects, of some of the biblical apocryphal literature. That's my opinion, anyway. And that's why we have books called Adam and Eve that really couldn't have been written by Adam and Eve. There's some interesting things in the first couple of books of Adam and Eve, however. And some of them certainly seem to be highly allegorical and quite prophetic. But the third book of Adam and Eve follows the chronology of the Masoretic text. And there's a couple of other books from the same period. The, um, the book called The Book of the Cave of Treasures is, is another such work. It follows the chronology which we're familiar with from the Masoretic text, which is an impossible chronology. And, and it says very many fantastic things, such as um, the idea that Esau killed Cain, uh, I think might be one of them. The idea that... Um, Shem was still alive at the time of Abraham, when Abraham was an adult. That's pretty fantastic. And, and, and the Septuagint text, the Septuagint chronology refutes that idea. Common sense refutes it also. The biblical narrative refutes it as well. Because when Abraham is in his travels, it, it's pretty clear that all of these patriarchs are not living. That Abraham is in an entirely different time. All of the books of Adam and Eve, I, I would um, be very careful with before I try to imagine that we could create doctrine or, or learn and, and any um, groundbreaking new truths from their pages. They certainly are not canonical. But the, book, the third book of Adam and Eve and, and the book of the Cave of Treasures, those books are 6th um, century, I believe. 6th century A.D., perhaps 5th century A.D. They're very late, and they're certainly not worthy of any merit. 
And yes, I, I've read them at one time. So that's my opinion. Uh, I'm sure if I went through them, if I went back through them again, I would find quite a few problems with them. I have some emails here that are too, too belaboring to read. I'm sorry, I'm trying to pick through them. I, I really um, expected some callers tonight, but that doesn't appear to be happening. This might be a real short open forum, uh, open call program. And if I don't get calls, it'll be my last one for quite some time. Somebody sent me an email that was um, quite interesting. He said, I've read your article. This, this, this email actually came from a Greek, a person in Greece with a Greek name. I've read your article, Classical Records of the Dorian and Danon Israelite Greeks. I happen to read a book of Greek history on the subject of ancient Greek festivals in ancient Sparta. One was called Carnaya. It is said that it came from the word carno, which meant in Doric dialect, ram. I checked the word carno and found one city in Wales and one city in the biblical area that is called Carname, which is called carno by Ptolemy and Strabo, which is probably related to Genesis. 14.5, to a city called Ashtaroth Karnane. And that was pretty interesting. I, I hadn't um, examined the word, of course. But I checked out the, the, the men's statements, and I did answer them on Christogenia. It's published in the in the letters section just well two months ago. Of course, I had not heard this before, so far as I can remember. And thank you for your observation. Being certain of the origins of much of Greek culture, it certainly does not surprise me that there would be a connection. Carne, in the King James version, is a dual form, plural of two. And some early Greek nouns also had such a form. In other words, there was a singular, there was a plural, and then there was a dual, which means that it was plural, but it signified two. Two of something, two of whatever the word was. Greeks have, um, Greek nouns had that language feature at a very early time. At least some, some Greek nouns had that form. So I can see, and, and it comes from a Hebrew word which means horn. Karname means horn. So I could see where that may well be related to the idea of a ram having two horns. The Karnaya festival, the ancient Doric Greek 
Carnia festival was held in honor of Apollo. And Apollo was seen as the patron protector of shepherds and herds. According to the ninth edition of Waddell and Scott, Carnos is a ram, and a carnon is a horn. So I would be confident to say that the word is definitely a cognate with the aforementioned Hebrew word, carname, which means two horns. As for the Welsh connection, Liddell and Scott also cite a Celtic word, carnux, which appeared in certain early Greek writings and which they say is equivalent to carnon. That is also truly interesting. When I did my um, English is from Hebrew section, well, when I made the notes that resulted in the English is from Hebrew section at Christogenia, there are probably about five or 600 English words there that have Hebrew, corresponding Hebrew words that are very um, very close in sound and in meaning. And therefore, it's evident that those English words, and these are simple, basic English words, English words that if they didn't come from Hebrew, we must, if they, if they were borrowed words from Jews, we have to imagine that the English people didn't have a lot of the basic words that they had to have. And they, they, they had to borrow these words from Jews. But that's not how it happened. Actually, a lot of the English language, the ancient British language, did indeed develop from Hebrew. I hadn't yet studied Greek when I put together that, that list. I hadn't yet begun my Greek studies. But I was able to identify a few Greek and Latin words, as well as English, that were very similar and, and must have had Hebrew cognates. One of them that stands out in my mind is the Latin word moneta, which means money. The Hebrew word mona, M-O-N-E-H, is how Strong's transliterates it, means something which is weighed out, and that's what money is. So the Latin word moneta had to come from the Hebrews. That's just one example. So this carno is interesting, and, and perhaps I should once again go through the Hebrew lexicon and, and see what other, now that I've studied Greek, what other Greek words I could find, or, or what other Greek words I could imagine had Hebrew roots. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of them. It's... um. Satisfying to see that my paper made this one Greek man think when he wrote it, and now he himself is finding correlations. And that's what he points out here, and that's why he wrote me. That's satisfying to, to see that the paper I wrote 
enabled this man to, to see the connections and, and, and to start seeing those connections in other ways because the connections are surely there. Christian identity is certainly true. There's no doubt. Well, it doesn't look like we have any calls. This, that this program's, uh, I mean, <laughs> I could have pulled a lot of my emails out. I'm, I'm trying to go through the list and find things that are interesting to talk about or perhaps necessary to talk about. Here's an email I'm going to read. I get quite a few of these. Good day. I am a born-again Christian, having served in the British Army in many conflicts and having a divine experience. I have come across your website and find your CI beliefs very interesting, with a lot of evidence to back it up, too. Before me being born again, I was, and in ways, still am a racialist. In such, I have a wish to protect and preserve my own race. However, certain books I read point to the Old Testament being Jewish, and religion was made by Jews to divide and destroy our, our white race. As you can imagine, I now am a bit confused about my faith and which parts of the Bible I can and can't trust, believe, etc. I certainly believe we, meaning white people, are God's chosen people, but confused now at what I should do, should not read, study, or believe and trust. Please, can you point me in the right direction? Recommend reading what to avoid, and in particular, anything to keep my CI beliefs faith true. In return, well, well I'm not going to read the rest of it, but that, that's a, a quandary that a lot of people who haven't actually studied meet but when they run into the pagans that say that the Bible is a Jewish book, and um, I haven't had the chance to answer that email yet. It came in mid-July, but it, if um, if Mike is listening, I'll try to get to you soon. We have a call from guest eleven. Hello. Hello, Bill. Hello. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Mark from Northern Kentucky. Oh, hello, Mark. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't recognize your voice at first. Uh, we had an interesting um, thread in the um, Christagania forum this last week um, that um, posed a, an interesting question, I thought, and that was uh, what should uh, Christian identity's stance be on the, the current uh, conflagration going between the Palestinians and the Israelis in uh, Gaza, and um, uh, the original poster put forth the uh, the notion that it's it's just bastards killing bastards, and to him it was a non-issue. Um, I I kind of take the position that uh, it's something that we should pay attention to uh, because it is biblically related. And um, it, it has to do with some, in my opinion, unfulfilled uh, prophecy uh, about uh, the final destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not sure I've, I've heard your take on, on that, but 
I believe that uh, its final destruction still awaits um, um, its eventual fall uh, from, um, I think it's um, well, well, Jeremiah I, 1911. I've actually said it at least twice. First in my um, Malachi presentation a couple of years ago, and then in my Romans 9 presentation recently, that, that Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, have not been fulfilled, but they are being fulfilled now, and they're being fulfilled rather perfectly. The, the burden of, of, of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? And that's perfect, perfectly representative of the Christian Zionist, the Judeo-Christian attitude. Today, Yahweh loves Jacob. The Christians, the white Christians, are actually Jacob. And that's who he's speaking to. And they are, in turn, asking or, or concerned about Esau. And those Jew bastards over there in Palestine, they are actually Esau. So, so Yahweh... Yeah, that's our understanding in Christian identity. Um, I was thinking of Jeremiah 19.11, where it says, uh, Just so will I break this people in this city, even as one breaks a potter's vessel which cannot again be repaired. And, uh, you know, Babylon came in, destroyed it, and it was repaired. Uh, Rome came in in 70 AD, destroyed it, it was repaired. So this prophecy is still awaiting fulfillment sometime in the future. It hasn't come to pass yet. Well, well the, um, the, they, they've returned. This is Esau, as Malachi explained, who has turned to build the desolate places. They shall build, but I will destroy. Right, and, and this is so perfectly representative of the Jews, but because after we see the, the, the Christian Zionist concern for Esau, and, and, and it says, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will, and, and that sounds like the typical Jew, right? But we will return and build the desolate places. That's what's going on today. This has not ever been fulfilled until these Edomite Jews had, had started the Zionist movement and, and have migrated to Palestine and, and have taken this land from their Arab Canaanite cousins and, and that that actually serves a greater purpose, I believe. That the uh, all of this carnage in the Middle East is creating millions of Arab refugees to send to Europe, and, and the, the the mainstream culture is telling us that we have to hate the Arabs in Palestine, but we have to love the Arabs in Europe and in America. Yeah, the, uh, the controlled media propaganda is so uh, underwhelming. 
uh, about this carnage going on right now that um, you'll wonder where are all these bleeding heart liberals, you know, that uh, I guess uh, Jews can uh, destroy whoever and whatever they want uh, with impunity, but uh, uh, anybody else tries that, and, uh, uh, of course, that uh, is uh, amplified as as, uh, horrific. But um, I, I think it is something that we should be aware of, as I said earlier, uh, just from a, uh, a biblical and, and identity perspective, because it's going to shatter the um, the Judeo-Christian world and, and all their Hal Lindsey type of uh, uh, prophecies uh, when Jerusalem is finally destroyed. It destroys... Uh, all these false doctrines with it, especially the the rapture. It, it would just decimate the uh, the rapture theory. And, and I can't wait to see that happen. <laughs> um, it 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 is. It, it's they believe that all of these Jews are going to be miraculously converted to Christ at the last minute, don't they? Well, that's the thinking. Uh, but but they see such some it's opening some people's eyes just to the inhumane um, uh, treatment that uh, you know sure it's it's bastards killing bastards but but the Jew has whined all these years and decades about how bad the Nazis were against Jews and in essence they're doing the same thing that they've accused the Germans of. So the, the shoe's on the other foot right now, and, and the hypocrisy is just glaring for anybody that has eyes to see. That they are masters of projection. They've always done it. That, that they've always accused their enemies of doing the things that they've done to their enemies. <laughs> They're experts at that. And, and the media, that they control the media, so it so, so it exacerbates their, 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 their effectiveness. Yeah, I think the motto of the Mossad is, uh, by way of deception, we shall wage war. And they surely but When do. the troops are complaining that the enemies are bayoneting babies in their cribs, it, it's because the Jews are bayoneting babies in their cribs. They've always done that. An old commie trick is to accuse your opponents of what you yourself are guilty of. That's projection. That's what they do. They're very, very good at it. We seem to have that problem in Christian identity. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. But we have a lot of Jews pretending to be Christian identity. They are, no doubt, the most adept liars in the world. And uh, Christian identity should be smart enough to identify uh, these uh, adversaries in our midst because they don't seem to sleep, as the Psalms says, until they create mischief. And uh, it just seems that... uh, 
they do this nonstop. They live for chaos. Well, well, right. I don't. I don't think. I, I don't see what these that these um that these clowns, the insane clown posse, I like to call them, these clowns in that that pretend to be identity Christians are doing trolling my talk show program week after week after week. I don't see what they're accomplishing. They're wasting their time here. And and they're trying to get some sort of attention or notoriety for themselves that they're only getting attention in as much that it, it is known that they are trolls and that they are actually antichrists. And they're proving it. They're proving that week after week by showing up here and, and trolling this talk show. Controlling these programs, there's no doubt. Well, it's it's somewhat of a microcosm of um, of uh, the threat that the Israelis pose in the Middle East. That um, uh, they're going after all of these um, Middle Eastern states um, by way of the United States military. Um, because they're not strong enough. That's why they're picking on Gaza right now. They, they're not strong enough where it's not in God's will to take Syria or Iran at this time. But they've said, uh, I think it's Simon Perez has said that uh, should anybody ever uh, consider attacking them, uh, they do have a nuclear capacity, and he threatened to strike Europe. Uh, I I forget the uh, the Samson option, or it's called something like that. Right, and and that's been around. That's been known for quite a few years, but the media doesn't play it up. They don't point that out. It's evil. They don't point that out. That they don't elucidate. That people switch. might not knew, know this, but um, uh, they they cry crocodile tears about um, all these other uh, countries like Iran having weapons of mass destruction, but uh, they themselves are not held accountable for possessing uh, uh, nuclear weapons uh, at the secret. Demona uh, location in which they probably stole from America, and uh, uh, this is where the USS Liberty ties into uh, at that uh, period of history uh, could have blown the whistle, uh, but. LBJ at the time allowed the Israelis to try and sink the USS Liberty. I think 34 American sailors were killed and over 100 wounded as the the Jews uh, used their American uh, jet fighters to kill Americans. And uh, it's because uh, they were developing a, a nuclear capacity at the time. And to this day, uh, they they have this uh, and have developed this capacity um, to uh, strike with a, a nuclear arsenal. 
Well, well, that's what they claim, and and um, if, if it's if it's true or not is immaterial. What's material is that they've made the threats to blow up Europe if they're ever attacked. That that's um, it's quite incredible that Europeans. Knowing those threats have been made because they've been well publicized. That Samson option has been well publicized, and and European politicians still bend over backwards for the Jew, and and continue to do so. And the Jew still prevails. That the only um, the only thing that makes sense to me, looking at recent European history and, and the Jewish role in it, the only thing that makes sense is Christian identity. Christian identity. That, that's the only lens to look through all of these events at and, and, and um, make sense of them. Well, that is the light that shineth in darkness. Right. And, uh, and of course, the darkness comprehends it not. Um, most of you, the toughest nut to crack is to tell a Judeo-Christian that Jews are not God's chosen people. But uh, it just seems to me, and, and this is why I called in, uh, is that we should pay attention to current events and what's going on, uh, because we can use that to our advantage uh, to carry the message of Christian identity as it pertains to uh, the Word of God, and especially prophecy. Uh, yes, we should. But, earlier. but we should be careful about having um, empathy for the Arabs. Right, and, and that's kind of the catch-22, is that we don't want to bury our heads in the sand and just ignore and be oblivious to the world. Uh, well, it, it could be... Uh, God giving us um, a golden opportunity to awaken our brethren. There are a lot of anomalies on the world stage. For instance, the Jews are bombing Palestinian kids in Gaza or in the West Bank or wherever. And there are now... Because of the, the, the Jewish wars in the Middle East, we have millions of Arab, Iraqi, Iranian so-called refugees in, um, spread throughout the nations of the West. And, and we're constantly, we constantly see how um, prone these people are to violence. But we what we don't have is fights between Jews and Muslims in the West. Well, I think France is, is uh, uh, from what I've read in the last couple of months, uh, street uh, fights or even riots between French nationalists and uh, alien Muslims. Well, well, right, but I mean Muslims and Jews. Oh, I see. Jews themselves in the streets. They're always fighting in Palestine and, and its environs, 
But they don't fight anywhere else, is what I'm saying. That there are Muslims and Jews in all of the cities of the West now in large numbers. And they get along fine. And the enemy is the native white people. Well, sending all of these foreigners to the United States is, you could almost consider that an act of war. And uh, Congress vacillates over this issue recently under the guise of children pouring in over our borders, um, which I think is nonsensical uh, because adults are accompanying them. But that's the enemy knows that uh, the the alien, and, and you've talked about the, the various types of worms, the canker worm, the palmer worm, et cetera, um, are, is an alien inv- invasion, and that um, it, it violates God's law that they shall not dwell in thy land, because if they do, they will become a snare unto you, thorns in your eyes. And... Um, and, and that's where Israel went sour and uh, started whoring after strange gods. And we're doing the same thing today. Uh, it's, I think Revelation, John called it the um, Balaam's doctrine of uh, interracial marriage. Yes. And um, it, it's one thing leads to another, of course. Right, that the, the fornication inter, interracial marriage is, is associated with Balaam and with Jezebel in Revelation chapter two, both times, and 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 um, God's response is to kill the children with death. Why would the children be killed? That there is some identity pastors that are saying, oh, it's not the children's fault that they're bastards. God's not going to punish them. It's not their fault. But Revelation chapter 2 speaks to those children of fornication and says, therefore, I will kill your children with death. Yeah, I've heard that too. The, the, The line is something like, it's not their fault they were born that way. Right. Well, that's kind of contrary to the way God thinks about it when he says Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated so I mean they're born out of the womb hated by God what do you mean it's not their fault that's what Paul explains in in Romans chapter 9 I mean they're born evil but maybe they don't understand um, biblical evilness Evil is something that, that spoils. Their presence in our society spoils the kingdom. But, uh, you know, Hosea 4.6 says, uh, uh, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But if you continue reading in that verse, it says, and I will forget thy children also. When we forget the law. Yes, it does. So, so uh, I, I noticed you said last night um, the, the last thing in Malachi was this ministry of Elijah where the fathers turn their hearts to their children. And, um, and I think that's another responsibility of Christian identity. 
is that we need to teach our our youth uh, from the rock from whence they were hewn, and uh, and and that's their their racial identity, uh, their heritage, their God-given heritage, uh, which public education. Uh, the tenth plank of the Communist Manifesto pretty much destroys these days. I think it was Karl Marx who said, "Take away the heritage of a people, and they're easily persuaded." And uh, they sure are today. Yeah, yes, they are, and and that's that. That's been a, a hundred-year plan on on the um, part of the Jews in this in this country. That the um, demise of classical education has removed the heritage, the heritage of our people from the minds of our youth, and 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 they're not taught it. It's not instilled in them in school any longer. Instead, now the heritage of alien peoples, of a variety of alien peoples, is being instilled into our youth in schools. So our children in schools, are, un, under the guise of education, are learning about Chinese culture, Indian culture, if you want to call it culture, Africa, the, the, these um, pagan paradigms of these alien tribes, who, tribes who never built any sort of civilization that, that's worth mentioning, and, and that's being instilled in, in white school children. So, so they're being removed from their, from their own heritage. There's no doubt that that um, Communist Manifesto is, has been put into action here in every respect. Now there's some commentators uh, in Christian identity I've heard, or even you know the the greater uh, white nationalist uh, community that say we shouldn't promote the uh, protocols of the learned elders of Zion because it it it's never been proven as uh, an authentic document and is perhaps forgery. But regardless of that, I think anybody should read the protocols because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, and this this document comes from the uh, late 1800s, I believe, uh, as to it's like a, a Jewish playbook <laughs> in how to uh, take over uh, the white nations. Right. And, it, and it's all their little dirty tricks that they actually have done. Like my, my chapter. Uh, New England ancestors used to say, the proof is in the pudding. And the pudding is the, in the eating. <laughs> that the um, Henry Ford said that the protocols are, are, are coming true and that they had to be legitimate for that reason. And they certainly are. And that was in the 1920s. Yes. He saw the handwriting on the wall then. It, it's um, I, I've been kicking around the thought of doing a series on the Communist Manifesto and the Protocols in in um, 
maybe next year. So, so many topics, so so little time, right? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to uh, uh, call in, and and I thought that was a interesting topic uh, about Jerusalem and and what's going on in in Gaza right now. Thought other folks might uh, be interested in. Well, well, right. The the big picture that that I see is um. Well, well, first. The, the 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 knee-jerk reaction, if Satan's house is um, divided against itself, how can his kingdom stand, right? And that that seems to be what we have on the surface. But if we look at the big picture, all of these Jewish wars in the Middle East have created millions of Arab refugees and a stream of them to Europe. And I think that's the big picture. That's what's really going on. So there's a lot of other other little pictures, such as the money involved, the aid and support that they're able to suck out of white nations on account of all of their, their, their persecution, the, the Holocaust. All of these things are constantly perpetuated by the um, the Jewish wars in the Middle East. On a brighter note, I I, I learned um, this morning that the the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin, all of those um, concrete blocks that they erected, mm-hmm. the blocks are crumbling, and, and they're taking drastic measures to try to prevent these blocks from crumbling. So the Holocaust is actually crumbling under the feet of the basically. It it's it's um appropriate, let's put it that way. Well you know, Zionism itself is a um a think tank, if you will. Um they have a they're the uh promulgators of, of a master plan. As you say, that's the the bigger picture, where um, you know some people think of of Jews as uh, oh they're they're such smart people. Look at Einstein, but actually it, it's not their intelligence; it's their cunning. I've always said it's it's their deviousness, their deceivableness, uh, and and their cunning ways uh, in which they. Um, um, apply a means to an ends and uh surely they're not driving muslims into europe as something coincidental to their plans it, it's, as, uh, as well as a myriad of of other uh, cause and effects right that they, they <laughs> serpent is a good word for them Oh, absolutely. It, it's it, it's very appropriate. When John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers, it, it's very appropriate that they are cunning, and they do. They have thought they've thought these things out. That they that they are. It's very clear to anyone who's actually um, followed all of these um, 
so-called conspiracy theories, who's aware of the Communist Manifesto, the protocols, and, and all of the quotes from notable Jews over the last hundred years relating to their role in Western society and politics, it's very clear that they have indeed planned everything they've executed for the last 200 years. And, and this is the, um, the long march, but it's also scripture. And, and in the end, we win. We know that. So all their plans, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. In the end, the Jews are going to fail miserably. I know there's a lot of people, our people, that, that get depressed uh, because uh, of what they see happening uh, in society and, and in the world. But, but really, um, uh, we should count it all joy. Because Babylon is crumbling, uh, it, its foundations are weakening, uh, and all is not lost. If you can see that, um, uh, just a thing that I was reading um, in the um, what's the the Council of Conservative Citizens, they have these news feeds on your. Um, uh, forum. There was a thing a couple of weeks ago about uh, a survey in a uh, some typical um, classrooms. I think it was more than one school. And the question before the students was, uh, "What do you think is the most um, uh, unbelievable or suspicious uh, or bogus type of?" Uh, thing in history that you can think of and uh, it was something like uh, 73% of the students said the Holocaust <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair after all these years of uh, Holocaust studies uh, being inculcated into uh, the mush brain students of America that that would be something that would be on the top of the list and I don't know where that came from, but praise the Lord that uh, kids today just think it is so absurd that uh, it's unbelievable, that it doesn't have any credibility anymore. And that, that I did see that, that article, and I was thinking about writing something on it, and, and I was just too busy well, with the move. But, but um, yeah, Things that, like this are happening all the time. That's my point. And, uh, right. So we shouldn't be cynical or burying our head in the sand or being depressed. Uh, this is a, a time to uh, uh, be happy about the signs of the times. Yeah, it's as in the days of Noah and, and Lot, but uh, hey, it's it's happening before our very eyes. So we're getting close to something, hopefully. Well, well, we should raise our heads and 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 um, know that our redemption draws near. That's what we're told in Scripture to do. That's yeah, what the word in Luke uh, one seventy one. There's it's talking about two different kinds of people: uh, those whose hearts fail them for fear, and uh, and those who look up 
for their redemption draweth nigh. Right. Maybe it's not Luke one; it's somewhere else. But um, no, no, I think that's Matthew twenty-four or, or um, Luke twenty-one. That it's it, it's part of the um, discourse of Christ concerning the the time of the end, the fall of the city, and, and that he was asked three questions at the same time and answered them all in one discourse. So it's hard to sort out which element in the discourse applies to which of the three questions and which element of the discourse applies to two or even three of those questions. So, so um, that's where it says when, when you see these things happening, raise your head or look up for your redemption draws nigh. That we should be, um, we should be happy to see the word of God fulfilled in our time. Amen. That's what's going on right now. Ezekiel 38 and 39, Micah 4, Jeremiah 31. It, it's all happening right here, right now. This is it. When we see aliens pour across the border, does it grieve us? Of course it does. Because we know how many white boys and girls are going to be damaged by those aliens. But that's for the glory of God because all those aliens are going to be destroyed here. That's the promise of God. Yes. There should be no doubt. That's what he, Ezekiel 39 doesn't say that they're all going to return to their own countries and live happily ever after. What Ezekiel 39 says is that it's going to take us seven months to bury the bodies. That's what it says. Well, you know, um, we're criticized um, with the appellation of being exterminationist, but but really, it, you know, the the adversary is um, they account us as sheep for slaughter. So really, it's the exterminationists, the real exterminationists, that are going to be exterminated. <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. So they they have what's coming to them, uh, and, and you know people keep asking what's what's it going to take to wake people up? Well, just one atrocious thing after another to the point where people will be begging that these adversaries be wiped off the face of the earth because they're so evil, and maybe that's that's the logical way this thing's going to play out. Whites are um, incredibly stubborn, and that's how the children of Israel are described all throughout Scripture. Stubborn, stiff-necked. It's incredible to me that most, I would bet 90% of whites, if you ask them if they wanted to live in a black neighborhood, would say no. Or if they wanted, if they wanted to live in the middle of the a Mexican neighborhood, they would say no. But then again, they don't profess that there's anything wrong with blacks or Mexicans. Yeah. It's incredible. It's an incredible disconnect. How would you like well, a free house in Detroit? And white, and I'll, flight, white flight started in the '60s with the Civil Rights Act, and 
it hasn't stopped because uh, the the browning of America hasn't stopped. They they keep moving more and more into um, white enclaves, and it'll get to a point where uh, they they can't run, they can't hide, they they can't move anymore because they're everywhere. No safe. That'll be the time when they take a stand. No safe haven. They're supposed to be everywhere. They're going to be everywhere. But we see every community on on the eastern seaboard of the U.S. is being overrun with blacks or Mexicans or or some other sort of alien. They're everywhere. There's no safe haven. And and that's why the uh, the alien invasion is likened to locusts. You know, they just devour a land. And, And that's the enticement. Uh, come to America, and it's a free lunch, free housing, free everything. And um, and and they literally devour the land. But you see, the, the balance point can can only uh, uh, white working people can only pay for uh, we feed, they breed until they outnumber us, and we can no longer feed all of them because we're outnumbered. Right. It's just uh, a mathematical uh, uh, thing that will eventually come to uh, a screeching halt. We we have, um, I I really do appreciate your call, Pastor Downey. If you would like to stay on the line, uh, I would be um, honored. And and we have a couple of other callers here. Uh. I'm going to hang up, and uh, I appreciate you taking my call. Um, and let's see uh, what some other people hopefully have to say that aren't trolls. <laughs> well, all right. Thank you. Okay, Bill. Thank you for calling. Okay. God bless. Let's hear from Hawaii. Hello. Hi, uh, yes. Hello. Hello. Hello, you called. This is William Fink. Well, I really just uh, I just uh, got on the line. I'm kind of confused. I was hearing uh, the Reverend there talk about well, you know, about being black or in a black neighborhood, but I thought that this was kind of like um, a clearinghouse for people that had been that were targeted. Um, with EMS and, and low-frequency weapons and stuff like that. I thought that this was like a support kind of thing for people. No, I think you're on the wrong talk show station. All right. Well, maybe you can help me because I'm confused. And I'm like, okay, well, I probably should hang up because I'm not, like, with the program that you're on. But, right. I mean, I, yeah, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Scott's strategy. Let's take Scott's call. Hi, Bill. Hello, Scott. Hi, Bill. Can you hear me? Yes. How you doing? Hi. I went through setting up a whole new computer and a headset and everything just to call you. Really gotten into your stuff in the last few weeks and listening to I listened to all your ancient history podcasts. Uh, it's really, really excellent. It doesn't leave a lot of questions because it's so thorough, for one, and 
it doesn't leave a lot of holes. And the only question that someone's really asked is just stuff around the edges. Well, well so, I appreciate that. I do have a question around the edges. In fact, I have a couple of them. This is, you know, I hope you understand I'm not a troll. I don't think I am. But what do you think of this? Um, I think there could be, and I'm not even saying, well, you're like, what do you have? An etymological connection between, I'm probably going to say this incorrectly, Sukkoth, or Sukkoth, which is Hebrew for tent dweller, and Scythian. Because all you have to do is drop the vowel, and it's just about the exact identical word. Well, absolutely. That, that's I, been stated many times in Christian identity before me, long before me. It also makes more sense to me. I look, I understand, even if we didn't know their names, the names didn't exactly make sense. You know, the Israelites disappeared exactly at the same time and place where the, um, you know, Scythians did appear. And the fact that mainstream historians and archaeologists won't take notice of it is, I think, just a hypersensibility or hypersensitively to Jewish sensibilities more than it is a weakness of the materials. I've um, quoted one, only one anthropologist, Grigoriev, a Russian, who 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 says that the Scythians, you know, he places the Indo-European homeland in, in what we would call Kurdistan, and and um, Jews really are experts at creating a lot of rabbit holes, and and. Um, that there are so many anthropologists with, with these crazy ideas about Indo-European origins, and, and they point to everywhere except the obvious, and and, and make all kinds of crazy insistences. I, I don't. They they just don't. It, it's wow. It's an abject refusal to look at the facts that Christian identity presents. It's just an abject refusal. It's um, too um, too wild a claim for them to wrap their minds around that they just reject it. I, I can't, I don't fathom it. I really don't understand it, except that they're not supposed to accept it. The word of God is true. And, and the children of Israel are to be blind until God himself removes the blindness. That's part of their punishment. So this Christian identity, we assert that it's truth. It's been 150 years now that this information has been known, 170 years perhaps. But it's still not popular and, and probably won't be for a long time yet. Well, it actually was somewhat popular in 19th century England, and while it's, you know, modern CI is not identical with, uh, you know, British Israelism, the basic historical thought is about the same. You know, how we interpret or apply it is one thing, but I'm just talking about the historical and archaeological record. I don't think they're, they're that different. So if anything, it's something that was uh, that became popular for a while and then just kind of died out. I, I mean, I have several 
you know, much older books on, on, the, on the topic when it seemed like it was, when people were just, just, just more open to these, these types of ideas than they have been since, well, let's say since World War II. That, that's that's true. British Israel was very popular for quite some time and seems to have died with the proliferation of the electronic media. That, that's what I would that's what I would think that it was sort of drowned out and, and has become an object of even ridicule at, at this I mean, point. Well, I mean, Queen Victoria was involved. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just wonder how the uh, let's see. Anglo-Israelism wasn't able to keep up in the electronic age. I mean, obviously it wasn't. I'm just, you know, it could very well be. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just wondering how something, because I have no idea how did it go from something that was so popular to something that was deemed to be so fringe as not even being worthy of being discussed. Because Jews control the entire media. And that's the last thing they want is for the truth about the identification of Israel to get out. Uh, that's true, but, the, but as you pointed out, British Israelism was, for the most part, a philo-Shemitic movement, and yeah. there were Jews involved in it, and it seemed like, oh, well, we're Joseph, and you're Judah, and you're our long mistreated brother. And again, I'm not even saying that that's right. I'm just saying that that's right that people were saying it. Right, and and I believe that a lot of the compromises that British Israel have made were the, were were a large contributor contributor to the fact that British Israel could not survive. Hmm. I you know I, I would I would wonder because uh, I mean the the nineteenth century version would seem to be a type of Christianity that Jews would find to be very refreshing as is very welcoming of them, and as Jews have no particular desire to convert Christians, and they expect Christians will believe in something, then just like they promote, you know, Christian Zionism today, one would think, and certainly they did in the 19th century promote British Israelism. Yeah, it did die. And I'm not saying that you should definitely, you would necessarily know why, and it wasn't even what I was calling about. But let me say this first, Scott, before we change yeah. the topic. Um, British Israelism was at its peak in popularity when the British Empire was at its peak in political strength. And British Israelism had a lot of its faith um, invested in, in the survival and even the growth and proliferation and, and, and continued um, power of the British Empire. And by World War II, there was no more British Empire. Yeah, you know, I grew up hating the British Empire, hating imperialism, colonialism, but I really revised my views, even if I was an egalitarian, and I assure you I am not, I, I mean, the fact is, is that the white British, which I am not, I am descended, as far as I know, exclusively from the enemies of the British, the Celts and the Germans, but, um, well, I mean, it's true, I, I, you know, it's like I hit everything around England, but never quite 
in it. On the other hand, you know, I can only tell you about my great-grandparents, and it's this nagging little thought in my head that, you know, if you go back one or two more, I bet you're going to find some Englishmen, you know, but I haven't, and, you know, that's, you know, that's it. But before I completely forget my point, as I'm so apt to do, well, yeah, British Empire brought civilization, which you will well know, I'm not really educating you or trying to, um, but the British Empire brought civilization to places that never knew. I mean, when whites finally penetrated the interior of Africa, they found people who hadn't invented the wheel. Well, well, that is true, but did it do those people any good? Because when a white man leaves, they, they go back to destroying themselves and, and lose everything that was ever granted to them. Look, look I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I, I think they're... You know, the plague. I, I'm probably more of an inclusionist than, than you are, but, um, I mean, if somebody has an ancestor 30 generations, I mean, how would you even know such a thing going back that far? I guess I can go back five, and I'm ahead of most people. But, I, I mean, not that I'm saying anybody here doesn't already know, but obviously it's a very simple mathematical formula. White plus non-white equals non-white, and we all know about the IQ test, and we all know about the brain size differences, and we can all just see it with our own eyes once we just start accepting what our eyes tell us and stop trying to explain it away. Right. Right. But I can't disagree with any of that. I don't... That there's also greater spiritual reasons why what we must... Um, maintain separation from the other races. Uh, I'm not yet, you know, British, the, the, the British Empire, they did bring civilization to people that perhaps never deserved it and should have never had it. But the motives for that were mostly so that they could rule over and dominate and, and um, also loot those people of their labor and natural resources. So, so there's a lot going on behind the scenes, too. Oh, I'm not, well, I'm not necessarily an imperial. Uh, I mean, I, my, my ideology is very antebellum American. I'm just saying that if you have an empire, there's going to be a certain amount of trickle down where I think the English people were better off during the imperial days than they are today being overwhelmed by black Muslims. Well, well, right. The English people were, there's no doubt, but that the um, imperialism always drains the stock of the imperial nation, right? I mean, the, the, the dragon gives its power to the beast, but the, in the end, the beast is always destroyed. What we've seen that in history with Egypt, with Assyria, with, with Rome, all of these nations were great imperial nations that, that spent their own stock, their, their own youth, the flower of their own manhood, spent it in, in wars overseas, in the long run could not maintain it, and were overrun by the people that they ruled over. And, and we see that today. Happen, it happened in England, and it's happening in America. Well, in America, we never even had much of an empire. I mean, you could say after the Spanish-American War, we started kicking up a few insignificant colonies. No, it's just they've well, taken... No, no, uh, no. You know, there's a lot of... Corporate empire. 
It's different from all other empires. The American empire is a corporate empire. It, it's multinational corporations that have benefited from the wars of, of um, conquest that America has taken part in. Yeah, although I just finished reading Culture of Critique, and you know, I think I went on the exact same trajectory that Professor McDonald himself did. It's like, all right, well, we have this psychoanalysis, and it's kind of culty, and it's not empirical, it's dumb, and but, yeah, you know, it just kind of dies out because it's dumb, and it's not going to ruin your life. So they want to believe something stupid, who cares, all right, whatever. But it's the immigration thing. It's like, all right, these are the people behind it, we, you know, and they're behind it explicitly to swamp us out and replace us. That, that is their expressed goal. You know, that, that was really the turning point. I, I don't care what they believe. I don't care, you know, about some of these other things. But, you know, this is really the one. And if you just want to see it manifested, of course, and, you know, dig Brett's defeat of Eric Cantor. I mean, it was because Brett did make immigration pretty much his one issue. And if you, if you look at something like, you know, McDaniel in Mississippi, you, you know, he made earmarks his big issue. Well, you know, it's all right. Maybe earmarks aren't the greatest thing in the world, but, you know, I'm not going to lose my country because of earmarks. I mean, it's just that's why immigration and race are these humongous issues. Not that I would expect you to, you know, to, you know, to disagree. I'm pretty sure we're on the same page on that. Well, well right, but we have a promise, and, and the promise is that we're going to prevail, that these... Um, all of these aliens are not going to establish themselves here in the long run. That yeah. But you, would you agree with this? We have to uh, – look, I certainly hope that you're right. I, I mean, I can talk – I mean, what, what, what I was really impressed by was the historical and archaeological data that you presented. I mean, that's what really impressed me. I, I'm not going to pretend I'm of any – you know, great faith. I mean, my grandmother was a church mouse, but that's her and not, and not me. I, I hope you're right. I think we have to act as though you're not. We have to act as though we're going to fix this. We've got to fix this. No one else is going to, you know, you know, come on the clouds with the host of heaven and save us. Although I certainly hope they well, do. Don't have to be Christ-like because we're, we're, we're in a position where we are not going to save ourselves. It, it's... it's um. I mean, I would love to see 10 million white people wake up and, and separate themselves from these aliens and, and um, not participate in, in this government and in, in this Jewish orchestrated economy and let it fall apart around them. I would love to see that. But we don't have a political solution. It's just not possible. Well, I, I well, how, well how, how about this? There's one big difference now over where we were even, let's say, 20 years ago, and that's that we don't need the media. We, we can make our own media. Uh, Christ, you know, Christogenia is just as powerful on the web as MSNBC. That's why it's hate speech. It's speech they hate. Right, but MSNBC still gets 10 times the traffic. Well, it's not that more money. They've been around longer. And it's also not the only game in town. I mean, you, you serve a certain niche, and I, I, I think it's important to serve the Christian niche because, you know, how many people that are, you know, right-minded, good people 
who are Christian, whether even if it's just because of tradition and they don't really care about it, end up going to church and the church is raising money to send to Africa. Right. They should come out come out of those churches. Well, but, I understand that, but, been, but that's, they, we have to give them reason to, and it can't operate too far outside their paradigm. If somebody's religious, it's just, it's just too much to say, you know what, eh, reject Christianity. You should be worshiping uh, you know, a Druidic religion like your ancestors from thousands of years ago. No, the people who are religious or white are interested in Christianity. They're only interested in Islam and in Judaism. They're not interested in Druidism. They're interested in Christianity. But then you got to say, okay, well, then your Christianity is wrong. Okay, well, why is it wrong? Well, because you're the Israelite. You're the chosen people. And, so, and, and guess what? For thousands of years, chosen people made with chosen people to create more and more to finally get down to you. And if you go off and you mate with a cool colored person, all of that was for naught. Thousands of generations to make you two minutes to throw it away. That argument might might reach some people. Well, we've got we've got to try to reach as many of them, you know, as you know, you know, as we can, because you know, they're they're low hanging fruit because they're already Christian. They're already people that are, like I said, you know, white thinking. You're not going to find, you know, too many feminists there, too many liberals there. You might amongst the pastors and you know the Joe Austins of the world, but. I mean, just kind of the ordinary church-going people, and most of them are already doing it without realizing it. If anything, it's like, look, your altruistic feelings are good, but how about putting them towards our own people? I mean, there are many white people in this world who are in distress, such as in Rhodesia, I'm not misspeaking, South Africa, Ukraine, Russia. I mention them both because I think they're they're both two peoples who are equally valid in terms of their right to exist, irrespective of who may have brought down a single plane, and I don't think that justifies the genocide of either one. I'm just saying that it's not going to happen from the top. They're too politically correct. And those people are, I mean, what, what, what's that one guy from Orange County? Who, I forget his name. That guy who's friends with Obama. I know you know what I'm talking about. Come on. You know, you know that guy? The guy from, the, the guy from Canada? No, no, no. Uh, Orange County. He's, oh, God, his son committed suicide. Uh, he's real famous, and he hosted a thing with Obama and with McCain. It was kind of their first book debate, but they appeared separately oh. on stage. That you know, that guy. Uh, some somebody oh. in the chat is going to know who I'm talking about. I just can't remember his name. <laughs> he wrote the Purpose Driven Life. So I complain. Oh yeah, right. I I know who you mean. I made a pun on that title, but I don't know his name to be honest. I don't know his. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't try to remember these clowns, right? Scott, the, right. the turmoil, you, you've just found Christogenia, Christian identity, and, and um, you, you've studied my site probably to some extent and, and maybe sure. read other British Israel works and Christian sure. identity works, and that's fine. But the things which are going through your mind now have gone through the minds of all of us. Yeah, we've all been down this path, right? And and we all do want to wake up more and more of our white brethren. But there's no magic cookie. I don't there's, think there is. Most of the white people that I talk to, they think I'm nuts. They reject me. My own kin. My own kin. I, I've given them Bible lessons, hour-long Bible lessons, and, and walk through all the scriptures. 
and they think I'm crazy. Well, of course. Haven't you ever read a prophet has no honor in his own country? Why were you even trying? Well, well that, that's, that, that's my point. We have to try to reach our white brethren, but we're not going to reach most of them. I don't, I, I'm not as pessimistic as you. We're not going to reach all of them, but considering this is the number one issue, considering that you've got a, de- a demon crap illegal alien president, you've got demon craps controlling the Senate, liberal Republicans controlling the House, and they still can't pass amnesty, it's because there are still just too many ordinary white people who are saying no. And I, I quote this all the time. Uh, the American people have the advantage of being armed, which is an advantage they have with the people of nearly every kingdom in Europe. Federal is 46. I mean, the fact is, is that they can only push so far as we allow them. I mean, unless they want to nuke every city, which I don't think they want to do, then we have this, this physical power of resistance that they don't have in Europe. In Europe, you just have to take it. If they have the guns, you don't have the guns. But America... Private firearms are, are proliferated. I think that's our, that's our number one defense. Not that I'm advocating violence. I'm just saying that they've been trying to pass this amnesty thing for years. So I don't think we should just bury our hand, heads in the sand and say, ah, oh, we can't do it. I mean, you know, it's only one victory, but certainly Dave Bratt knocking out the House Majority Leader in a safe Republican district, it's got to count for something, even if the guy's not Mr. Perfect. I mean, you you got you can't tell me you weren't a little happy when that happened. <laughs> I, I I um barely heard about it. I I think I know that I, I don't remember the guy's name. He was a Jew from Virginia. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not following. Yeah, Eric Cantor. Oh, it doesn't get more Jewish than Cantor. From the the mainstream media, I don't care about it. I, I understand. That, that we do not have a political solution. To me, I, I really don't follow politics because it's, it's a huge rabbit hole. It's all engineered. It's a huge rabbit hole. We'll see how the immigration thing plays out. We'll see how the, how the, um, the American people hold on to their guns if they can. We'll see how that plays out. It'll be the Democrats have given up on gun control. They said that's why Al Gore lost. That cost him his own state of Tennessee, and hence the election. That had he won Tennessee, he could have lost Florida and still won. And Tennessee is no longer even uh, a battleground state anymore. And it's because look, let's just face it. You know, the liberals are telling the truth. It's about race and everything else. The dog whistle issue. Whites became, poor whites, working class whites, southern whites, all started becoming Republican in the 60s, and the Democrats said, we are, henceforth, the party of, of, of minorities. And at that point, whites weren't even being displaced. Yet, that was at the beginning. And we saw this, this shift. So, yeah, things are bad. But they don't control the narrative anymore. And when people are just seeing it all around them, when it's everywhere, it's not that hard to be woken up. I mean, it's one thing if you live in Vermont and everything's nice and the only blacks you know are what you see on Denzel Washington on the movie screen and you think that's what a black person's like. But it's another thing when they swamp you out, when it's already happening, when they're everywhere, and you know they're not different, and then that's where the programming breaks because the programming is ultimately wrong. It's ultimately it's telling you the sky is brown. 
Everybody says the brown sky is brown. The cool kids say it. The Talmud vision says every the sky is brown. He goes, it's still blue. So how much can they push that before finally you're going to say, I'm going to believe what I see with my eyes and not what the cool kids tell me? Well, well, Scott, we hope a lot more people wake up. We'll see. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out my um, Revelation series in Christrike. If um, prophecy is history written in advance, and and, um, we see history unfold through prophecy, it's um, pretty clear that the rest of the prophecy is always is also going to come true, and um, then we see how we are going to prevail and and come through the mess that we're in. Because it's really one solution, and it's not political. And and with that, Scott, I I really do appreciate your call, but it's getting late, and there's one more person that's been holding on for quite a while. All right, well, before you let me go, so you think I'm on pretty solid ground saying that that Sukkot, which you pronounce it correctly for me, if you could, I would appreciate it, but Sukkot leads to to Scythia. Sukkot is... The, the Greek word for Scythian is skuthoi, right? That's plural, right. Scythian. Skuthos, S-K-U-T-H-O-S. It's certainly, it, it's certainly from Sukkoth. I, I certainly believe that. That's um, in fulfillment of prophecy. It's also um, the, the Scythian word for Scythian was never Scythian. And the Greeks right. called them Saka. They called them Kimaroi. They, they, they called them Scythians. And I believe that is simply from the description of how they lived. Well, if that, if that is it, then we get the nail on the head because you go Sukkot, which Hebrew, of course, having no vowels. Sukkot is Skith, or the way you said it. And then from skip, you put the vowel back in, and all of a sudden, you have Saka. And so it's, they were always the same people. So, you know, Suko, Scythian, Saka, it's, these are, you know, very easy etymological connections. Well, Sukkoth is certainly Skithoi, well, which is Scythians. Uh, I'm convinced. Well, well then there you go, because I know the kids And please, um, <laughs> to the Revelation series. I think you'll like that. Okay, I will. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Praise Yahweh. We have one more caller, Dirt Rider. And, and hello, Dirt Rider. I'm sorry you had to wait so long. That's okay. Thanks for taking my call, William. Are we running out of time? How much time do we have left here? Well, we'll take as much time as you need. Okay. Well, you know, I don't really have a specific question. Uh, I know that your your show and, and your, your teaching is kind of based around race. I kind of wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit and maybe get uh, some insight from you on uh, on the changing gender roles because um, <clears throat> I kind of wanted to hear, you know, what your perspective was on maybe a young man trying to navigate the... Uh, the uh, egalitarian equality kind of field that's out there. And it's really such a contrast to what I believe the scripture says that the family and, uh, you know, a, a male-female, uh, you know, a, a organization is somewhat hierarchical. So I kind of wanted to get your 
uh, opinion on how to navigate that just you know egalitarian environment that is constantly put in front of a young man and also you know uh, do you believe that it, it, the family unit is supposed to be egalitarian or is it supposed to be more hierarchical and uh and I can maybe, you know, come back a little bit, but, I mean, do you have some insight on that? The, the family unit, the, the function of family unit is spelled out in Scripture. The, the male, the husband, is the head of the household and, and should be, as long as he stays in Christ, he has every right to be the head of the household. And, and the women, the, the woman in his life, she, she should never be a slave, but she should be subordinate to the, to, to the husband. That, that's very clear in Scripture, right? Yes, and I agree, and I, and I, I, I appreciate uh, your, your, uh, your, I guess your, uh, not, not strength, but your boldness in clarifying that. It seems to be a little danced around. But I just, I mean, how, how is the young man in today's environment with, you know, the threat of a domestic violence telephone call or... God knows what, excuse me, I don't mean to say that in vain, but I mean it's very difficult to, con- to even to bring up this issue with a lot of uh, Aryan European women. I mean, they're just very brainwashed, and they look at that as something that is outdated, and uh, uh, and some, some it's a form of oppression to them. In fact, the whole system, if you will, well, well, uh, if is outdated, then you probably don't want to be with that woman. That's okay. That leads me to my next question, and I agree. But it seems like it's getting really, really hard to find any woman that does not put up this egalitarian filter through everything. And I, and it's uh, I don't know. Go ahead, please. I understand that there still are a lot of um, more traditionally minded women women out there. They're just difficult yeah. to. That there are yeah. Christian women left in the world that they're just difficult to find, and you're not going to find them in bars and 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 all of the typical pickup places, right? You're just not. Right. Yeah, I know it's kind of a it's an old kind of beat down subject, but I, I just kind of wanted to see what you had to say about it because you go so into depth with uh, a lot of other Bible scripture and. Uh, well, well, I appreciate I'm, you taking. Me, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry for cutting off. I will be going in depth with the scripture when I discuss, um, to some degree, when I discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is probably coming by the end of the year, and um, especially when I get to Paul's epistles to Timothy. Yeah. So that, mm-hmm. that's it. There's... Uh, I'll be discussing gender roles, in other words, when I arrive at gender role discussions in Scripture. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I understand. It just seems like uh, as, part, as part of the Marxist-Communist uh, plan, boy, they have really done a good job of just erasing that. And it's, it's, really, it's really a marvel. <laughs> I don't know. It's just strange. People have lost all concept of that. It's almost it's like it's been erased. And my that's my opinion. But maybe it's just because I don't have a good uh, good dating life or something, you know. <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate yeah, right. you taking well, the well, let me show you 
identity Christians have good dating lives. You're not alone. Uh, I know a lot of um, very eligible young and middle-aged men who, who feel that they cannot find a suitable mate because they are identity Christians and, and um, really try to walk the walk of the faith. It, it's, you can't just pick up a chick and on the street and, and um, expect her to conform to your um, biblical, scriptural view of what a woman should be. But, you know, I also know some Christian identity women that cannot find a suitable man, on the other yeah. hand. So it's it, it, two-way street, right? It's not a one-way street. I see. Well, I certainly appreciate your shows, and I, and I could probably talk to you a lot longer, but like I said, this issue is a little bit worn out in some some regards. But, yeah, I look forward to your uh, your, your uh, shows on that. And um, and if, if anything, William, you know, your shows have really interest my – really grown my interest in the actual Bible itself, you know. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. But, well, uh, well, the Bible – is the book upon which our civilization has been founded. There's no doubt. Thank you, dear writer, and, and God bless, and, and can, I hope... Can I, can I make... Yes, can I make one more one more observation, please? Sure. I, I was kind of... Um, I, I thought I saw a scripture or a line, and it was, one, it was towards the end of the Bible, and it said... Uh, it said something along the lines of... And this kind of had me thinking... That you were right. It said, "Don't take this message." It said, "It said, don't take the path to every nation," and it was in reference to spreading the gospel. Do you know which which verse I'm talking about? It said, "Do not take the path to every nation," and then it said something about um, Israel. You know, taking the message to Israel. Do you, do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, you might be referring to the gospel scripture where Christ tells the apostles not to go in the way of the Gentiles, but go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, all right. Thank you for your time, William. Have a good night. Okay, thank you. And and um, I, I don't remember which gospel you'll find that in, but it's in one of the gospels. In 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 his, it might be Luke chapter ten, perhaps Luke okay. nine. In in there, that might be where I'd start looking for it. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay, dear Ryder. Bye-bye. Good night. We have one more caller. ProSync. ProSync. Hello, Mike. Well, good evening, Bill. How are you? How you doing? Pretty good. Sorry to call it at the last minute and stretch the show out just a tad bit further, but I heard the dreaded words from a fellow white, and I would personally like to see this type of language removed Um you know, it's kind of like when we learn CI, we remove the idea that Israel is Jew. You know, there's my point of view, and this is just my point of view and experience with women. This idea or this notion that you, quote unquote, find a good woman is an absolute and complete myth. You find a woman with some decent qualities and foundations, but you create the woman through good leadership is where you find a good woman. You find a good woman through yourself as a patriarchal leader of your family. And I, I see a lot of guys out there that just, you know, they're looking for this ready-made, microwave-ready, you know, woman that comes out and she's you got the Jew thing down, she's got the race thing down, she's got the Christian identity. No. 
You're well, gonna... and you're right, but that's where right. it comes down to having to find a woman that still has some traditional values. Right. Because a, a woman with some traditional values will be willing to submit herself to her husband more willingly than, than some feminist from Greenwich Village that <laughs> just isn't going to hear it. Right. Now, ironically here, finding finding that woman with those foundational qualities, uh, would would you recommend that somebody might look through these uh, Jew-worshipping churches, so to speak? I mean, there's certainly a bastion of, of enemy uh, speak in there, but at the same time, there is some still decent morality issues going on there. Right, and and I would say it depends on the woman and it depends on the church. Right. Because some Christian, so-called Christian churches have do have serious morality problems, and, 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 and there are some churches that still, even though they worship Jews, they still teach um, traditional moral values. Right, right. You know, and... A woman can't be belittled. A woman has to be brought to understand that her role in the development of of the household and the raising of children is crucial. That traditional role is crucial to the the, the um, creation of of, of sound um, of, of sound offspring. And, and and offspring that that are going to um, be uh, well balanced and beneficial to the family unit in the future. That that role of women is crucial, and because women have been taken out of that role, that's why we have so many problems with well, with children and families today. Right. Absolutely. And I, I guess one more quick comment too. He, he brought up the issue of egalitarianism, and I. My point of view, simply on egalitarianism, is it's a complete Jewish myth. <laughs> it's um, there is no egalitarian within our own race, between other races, between genders, uh, financial classes. There's there's the word egalitarianism is is something that the Jew has really sold us. And, and I get you know I, I find a lot of people that question that at least with the, you know the gender aspect or such. But I'm glad you clarified that as well. So. Um, hey, I want to say I'm glad you're doing these shows with Collins. They're interesting, even with the trolls calling, and they just validate where you stand. So, <laughs> well, well, right. They, uh, they call in. They prove I'm right. They right. prove everything I say about them is correct. Exactly. So, well, that's all I got. Oh. Yahweh bless. It's good talking with you. Thank you for calling, Mike, and and um, praise Christ. Okay. Bye. We're going to end the program on this note. And, and I, I thank the people that participated. I uh, wish the participation had begun a little earlier. I should have probably been um, prepared with some material in case there weren't any callers right away. And, and that's, that's my own fault, but I've just been too busy. I will see um, daylight by Monday or Tuesday. I, I don't know what I'm going to do for a program next Saturday yet. There's a few ideas, and, and um, I do really want to get the Martin Luther, Martin Luther series to its completion, so I may go back to that for a week or two and, and do that as um, 
here and there as time progresses until it's finished. I have a few other things on, on, on the um, back burner. Friday night, it's going to be part 16, I believe, of my Romans presentation. And, and that'll be subtitled Broken Branches. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh. And good night.